in this episode of the Encourage Fire podcast, I'm joined by singer, songwriter, and actress Kristen Ford. This is a cool episode once again. Uh, Kristen uh, is one of those people that has actually lived quite a bit of places. Uh, she's lived um, in six different states before the age of 18. She shares that her dad actually worked in education, um, but the majority of the time that she spent in one place was uh, Northern Massachusetts in the Boston area. She has lived in Nashville for the past five years. Uh, and I asked her how, you know, all that traveling shapes the way she looks up, looks at life. And she shares that traveling has made her really big on appreciating her journey, especially the one that music has taken her on along the way. You know, I talked, we talked a lot about trusting the process and managing expectations and she said one of the things that really helped her was the fact that she well, she worked for an artist management company uh, in high school. That was it. And she learned the importance of being able to go with the flow. And it's made the, her path along the way much easier to, to handle the ups and downs. Uh, we talked about her starting the, to write songs at the age of 15. And her also being interested in learning about audio engineering, playing drums. As well as she had a passion for creating her own original material and production and how she approaches songwriting these days with a much more professional approach because of her experiences and the knowledge about the overall craft of songwriting and creating a quality product. I talk about with her about how streaming and music has moved much, much more quickly in today's era than it, than it did before that songs are much shorter because the consumer's attention span is much shorter than it, than, than it was um, prior to the streaming era. And that these days, it's, it's really about having a core audience and a micro economy because that's the only real way that independent artists can really have a career without the need of a record label. Uh, she shares that in 2008, from 2000 to 2014, she averaged about 225 shows per year. Uh, even though she says that that was probably a lot of shows, she was she was thankful for the opportunity to play music, travel all over the world, and meet new people. I show oftentimes that, you know, when you're an independent artist, you have to wear so many hats along the way. And it's not until you really get inside the industry and inside the journey that you see how much work really requires. It really does, how much work really needs to be done as you, build your career. Uh, Kristen shares that one thing she became more comfortable with over the years was being able to diversify the way she makes money and it doesn't and all her money don't have to necessarily come from just touring. So she does several other things outside of that that makes it that will allow her to, you know, be able to spend more money on her music career and, and do different things like um, you know, travel with a a band or buy an outfit for st- for a stage performance, things like that. Uh, she's talked about traveling to many places like Germany, as well as her uh, places like Chile, Bolivia, and Peru. How that has just changed her outlook and made her look at life, especially those people in South America, much much differently than you do than, than people here in the states, and how they live life and how they don't value capitalism and money the way we do here. Uh, we end the episode talking about this uh, how people equate fame, how most artists, independent artists try to equate fame with success. And that 
you know, sometimes you can just find yourself having a lot of meaningless conversations, especially when you get to a certain level of fame, even though she she's never reached, you know, celebrity status, but she could just imagine what that would be like just of her experiences being an international artist. Uh, we also talk about her expert, her experiences in sync licensing as well as her being able to write songs for movies and uh, also leading to acting roles. Uh, we also talked about her Kickstarter campaign, how she's been able to get funding from those who generally support her. And that is really, the goal should really always be of the Encourage Inspire podcast, and I have a new friend and uh, guest of the podcast today, Kristen Ford, who was brought to me from, again, from B Squared, uh, so shout out to them for <laughs> bringing me another great, uh, another great um, artist to chop it up with. Kristen, how are you doing today? I'm so blessed, too blessed to stress, doing awesome. That is great, great stuff <laughs> here. Cool, cool. So yeah, um, so cool. So where are you originally from? Like, you know, where are you, where are you originally what? from? And I know you, you know, your music is mostly rock stuff. I love what you're doing too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to it. That's the whole beauty of it. Um, I, I grew up, uh, in like six different States by the time I, it, I was 18. Yeah, and I, um, I said that I've read that in your bio, but I asked you about that. <laughs> so my dad worked for uh, colleges and it seemed like he was always getting transferred to different schools or like uh, right. staff housing. We get moved around. So it's like not a military brat, but like an academia brat. Right. 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 Um, right. <laughs> and, but yeah, I'm mostly from Western Massachusetts. Okay. And, Northeast. Okay. Yeah. And I've spent some, some time in Boston, some time in Chicago and I just hit five years of living here in Nashville. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, you know, but I left. Oh, I hear that. <laughs> I hear that, Brooklyn. People say that, but I mean, I don't know it at all. I mean, I've been in Orlando since 1993, so uh, 28 years now. So Orlando's really home for me. Uh, I don't really know anywhere else. You know, my parents are both from the islands, uh, Jamaica, but my mom was born, my mom was born in Jamaica, raised in Brooklyn and my dad was born and raised in Jamaica and he moved to Brooklyn and obviously met my mom you know the rest is history <laughs> but uh but yeah it's funny I mean yeah, I've been I've been in Orlando pretty much half my life <laughs> so over half, over half my life so, yeah man so yeah, you 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 spent time a lot of different places you know so cool that's awesome that's awesome so um, how how that shape your outlook on life moving around so much? Like how does that for you? Well, um, I think it's it is really fascinating to travel and to see how people's perceptions of a place versus the actual experience in a place 
is so different or a lot of times you go on tour and people will ask you what was your favorite stop of the tour that's like I feel like the most common question when you're like oh I'm on a 20-day tour or oh I just wrapped this tour they're, they're like oh what was your favorite and it's there's not really a favorite it's it's the journey mm-hmm. and um I've also found that places where I would tour like say I'd never played um I'm trying to think because like feel like I've like played everywhere now but okay say like you're you're really excited to play Seattle Mm -hmm. and you have all of these preconceived notions about what it's going to be like in Seattle but then it turns out that like Boise Idaho is super cool Mm -hmm. or there's like a place north of Seattle called Kenmore Washington where um everyone's like super awesome and and had a really I personally had like an amazing time there um so I I think just maybe learning to make friends easy and to be adaptable and um to just try to keep an open mind was the most helpful (laughs) outcome of that uh upbringing might have been a little traumatic but (laughs) everything's fine (laughs) you know look everybody's life journey is so different you know that's why that's why it's like i like to ask questions like that because you know it's just interesting to hear people's journey as they say those two people i just made a post today in my ig about trusting the process Mm. so many people come into this space right to be a professional creative i don't use the term recording artist doesn't really exist to me i think recording artist is kind of an old term old music industry so i think nowadays you're as i've been saying this you're a content creator that happens to focus on music <laughs> i think that's more of a, a term of today's space versus versus the old industry but i think when you are in this in this space of 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 doing of doing this it is so much that that you know that you're gonna go, that you're gonna, that you're gonna experience, and know, and you gotta trust the process, man. No two people's career goes the exact same way, and that's right. that, that's sometimes that's the hardest lesson to learn because you try to emulate. Well, it worked for this person, it'll work for me the exact same way, and sometimes it will, sometimes it won't, <laughs> and you just gotta. I'm really you know. glad you said that because <laughs> as someone who like studied music business and. I started working for a music management company when I was like a junior, no, senior in high school. Like early on, I was just interested in the business and it felt like a code to crack or some kind of like, oh, if I just do it exactly the way this other person did it, then 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 that's the way. But you're right. It's it's everybody's journey is different and what worked for one person isn't gonna work for someone else. And yeah, you know, yeah. easier to just relax and go with the flow. Yeah. It really is, you know, it, it, people just, they, they have that harsh reality and they have to learn that relatively quickly that, <laughs> that it just doesn't, unfortunately, doesn't go that way, you mm-hmm. know, that, because in your mind, you always have an idea of, oh, I'm talented, you know, I'm dope, I'll be, I'll be, I'm going to be famous. And I always tell people, I'm always like, fuck fame, you know, fame is, it's not because it's, it's, it's like moving the goalposts because what 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 one person doing to be famous you know that worked for them doesn't mean it'll work for you i had a guy that i i was speaking to one time he was interested in possibly working with me and his whole thing was trying to go viral on tiktok 
And I'm just trying to say, bro, you can't build a career with the intention of going viral thinking it's gonna work. Nobody tries to go viral. It just go, it just, you know, you can't build that's that's not sustainable. You can't so we're mm. gonna make a we're gonna hope it goes viral. And what if it doesn't go viral? What if the next thing you do doesn't go viral? And you're trying to hope that, or I wanna pay this guy to do an influencer campaign. And if it goes viral on TikTok and he does a dance to it, and we're gonna like you know, you can't really hope for stuff like that. Like, you just got to buckle down and do the work, you know? And I think that's that's what a lot of people have to realize. There's no cookie-cutter way. And if it was, we'd all go down the same path to be successful, right. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm a big fan of um, Tony Robbins. He's yeah. like a, you know, motivational speaker. And yeah. he talks about being in a beautiful state because if you're – always if you train your mind to always be grumpy about something or always anxious about something and then all of a sudden you have 10 million dollars in the bank account you're still going to be grumpy and anxious Mm -hmm. um but if you train yourself to live in a beautiful state and you're making tiktok videos in your beautiful state and you're making music in your beautiful state well when those viral when that goes viral you'll still be in that beautiful state but if you're in the worry worry phase then it probably will be like I hope it goes viral. And then once it goes viral, it'll be like, I hope the next one does too. Or yeah. the, the next one we did wasn't as big as the one we did before. And yeah, it's, you find yourself on the hamster wheel. Just I'm trying to do that. They're trying to duplicate that. And a lot of times yeah. like they used to say back in the day, we're going to try to make a hit record. Like nobody makes a hit record. Hit records are marketed and promoted. It's a difference. Mm-hmm. You make what feels good, but a hit record is marketed and promoted. <laughs> that's what that's what it comes down to you you know because the truth is you don't know you know what you, you know that you if you, when you make a song you know it feels good you know it feels good and you're like oh this really feels good but to say it's going to be a hit you don't know that nobody knows right but what what record companies were able to do is they're able to put the major dollars behind songs and so you can you can go and get radio play. You can go and get the different things that ultimately make songs hits. But a song is never a hit right out the studio. You don't because you don't know. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the songs you thought were gonna be what some people like, they like the other songs <laughs> instead. <laughs> you know, so you just yeah, you know, because you know, and music is all about emotion and evoking emotion. So if the songs don't evoke emotion then well i'll say this if it if they evoke emotion good or bad as long as it's not indifferent as long as it makes you feel as long as, it, as long as you do feel something about it then the song's done its job you're not going to like every song you know mm-hmm. so that's really what i think about it <laughs> <laughs> you know so cool um so i would like to ask this question what are your earliest memories of music you know um Mm, earliest memories uh i would say church my dad would always sing in church and you know i wouldn't like to get all uncomfortable and wear the clothes sit still in the pews and what kind of church what kind of church did you grow up going to (laughs) um i i started out going to a seventh Adventist church and then um i spent probably most of the my church going years in in lutheran church uh, okay, it's so funny know. to be like my church going years i no no no, don't, go to do, church 
church of my own spirituality now. But. Don't feel bad because I'm the same way. I think church to me, we go down this, oh, well, let's go down this rabbit hole for a second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've done, I've, yeah, I, I think I went down this uh, in the previous episode. Uh, but no, I don't mind. I don't mind. We can go this way. This, this is my podcast. We can, we can take it anywhere <laughs> we want to. <laughs> but I just know for me, I think as I've gotten older, I have a different viewpoint of church now. I don't, I think church, church culture, a lot of church culture, I grew up Christian, so a lot of church culture bothers me. Not, not God, but church culture. And that's just me. You know, I think there's a lot of people, people of today have a lot more questions because you can't just, there was a time in the world where you can just, you could pull the wool over people's eyes. There was no way to fact check things. Now, if you say something, people want to fact check it. Hmm. it you know, How you know. Do you fa- I mean? Fact check faith, though. But as far as like, you know, yeah. for, well, what I'm saying is, as far as, for instance, the the Lord's Supper, the the picture we see of Jesus Christ, you know, painted in that picture, right? Well, if if, yeah. if, if you if you know anything about geography and where Jesus was from in Jerusalem, he could not have been. He was brown. Yes, he could not have been a white, blonde-haired, pale-skinned man. Yeah. That just, so that right there is a, not an accurate depiction of Jesus. You know, he wasn't black, but he definitely wasn't white either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So it's stuff like that, and it's just so many things that, and then I think, too, and I'm speaking specifically for, for the black experience, is that I and I didn't even really go up going to black churches, but I've been to enough to know that we we always want to give our pastors way too much credit in the fact of feel like they're knowledgeable in all these different areas. And I like for instance, like mental health is a really big thing right now, right? Mm-hmm. But not every pastor is equipped or knowledgeable about how to handle mental health issues and different things like that. So why are we going to our pastor to fix every problem that we have in life? Because Mm -hmm. I almost feel like that's just kind of what we've always done. People don't know any other way but to go to the pastor all the time. And I'm like, that's not the answer. you got to go to a trained professional that actually knows how the brain works. You know what I'm saying? Just stuff like that. And I just think that the culture overall in churches has, and there's a lot of people who are just super religious people that you can't have honest and real conversations with about what it is that you're going through in life, you know, because they've never been outside the four walls of church. So when, mm. the minute you have an uncomfortable conversation with them, and when you try to ask them uncomfortable questions that they don't want to answer, they don't, you know, they 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 give you the they give you the BS response. And so that's why you have to see a lot of young people are leaving the church. They're not necessarily leaving God, they're just leaving the church. Because mm. the church is not what it used to be. The church is no longer a place where people feel loved anymore. They feel a lot more judgment. Not in every church, but a lot of churches, people feel that way. So young people now are like, they're, we don't want anything to do with this. And they're seeing what people are doing on behalf of Christianity and saying they're doing God's work. People want nothing to do with that. It's like, if this is mm-hmm. what this is what be doing God's work is, I want nothing to do with that. And then you see a lot more people, seriously. Yeah. There's, this, there's this thing on YouTube that I was recently watching. And it, it, they have a series called Why, Why I Don't Go, Why They Left the Church. Like, and a lot of it is because stuff I just mentioned, like 
you know, it just, it's just, it's changed. And they, the church hasn't updated with the times. Okay. They're still operating like it's 1965. You're supposed to do what we tell you to do. Cause what's so it's tradition and tradition is great in some senses, but tradition in the church sense, in my opinion, is what's hurting in the church because they don't know how to think. They don't know how to they get step out of tradition and get into what's really going on. So people who have real questions about real things can get real answers. Not the not you know not the answer that people want them to get, but a real honest answer about what's happening now in 2021. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's just my yeah. two cents. Yeah. Well, I've um, I'd say for the past like two years or so, I I not every day, but most days I I meditate as soon like as soon as I get my coffee, then yeah. I just like I try to quiet my mind and meditate for like 10 to 15 minutes and. Right. It's so fascinating that it's literally the absence of answers or the absence of someone telling you what to do or stimuli. It, and yet it is feels like it's had a profound like personal impact for me. And I know that like little kids who are taught to like meditate rather than just like react, um, self-observation can be really powerful, mm-hmm. you know, which... I don't know. I think spirituality is like a really personal thing. And I just want to be an entertainer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't necessarily <laughs> want to like prod on anyone's, um, you know, vulnerabilities, but. No, it's true. That's no, real talk. Like, you know, the lane you want to stay in. Like, you're not, you're like, it's interesting you say it. Like, is this is this difference between entertainment and ministry, right? Yeah. It's yeah. A major difference, right? Like, yeah. so. When you're in a club performing, you're there to entertain. When you're in the church, it's not about entertainment, it's about ministry. So you, the mindset is totally different. So now you have, see, I've dealt with, I've had clients who are trying, who are from the church, now trying to transition into secular. And so one of my, one of my great friends, she's a great friend now, her name is Deli Rowe. And shout out to Deli, she's awesome. And when we first started working together in 2015, she was really trying to transition from doing gospel to I want to do R&B soul. And sometimes the church has a way of indoctrinating certain things into you, right? And so you have to kind of break through what those things are, especially when it comes to sex appeal and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it, it's, it's, you're kind of towing that line. And I used to always tell her, I said, look, don't worry about what other people have to say. Fuck it. You know, at the end of yeah. the day, do what you, you know, do what makes you happy. Because most of those people who are trying to point the fingers at you, they got things going on themselves that they don't want anybody else knowing about. Well, <laughs> Sister Rosetta Tharp is like one of my um, sort of heroines from the past. And uh-huh. uh, she was total trailblazer, you know, one of the founders of electric guitar playing and right um as a black woman like in the 20s 30s 40s she was just absolutely killing it so mm-hmm. like people were saying that was devil music then right <laughs> and and when you listen to it now you're like oh this is gospel like this is praise music yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so you're right it's i think people just didn't people just didn't have a you know they didn't know when something is brand new to them. They don't because people, oh, you know, you just because you sing secular, you're singing the devil's music. Like I never understood that because that never made sense to me. But again, you have those those super religious people who don't 
know how to think outside the box because every moment of the day is not praise and worship time. It just isn't. You know, that if all you're thinking about every minute of the day is like praise and worship, what if you're with your significant other and you're trying to have a uh, an intimate moment, let's put it like that. Hopefully you're not listening to Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it just, just doesn't make sense to me, you know, but you got people who, again, they're just, they've always been in that and they don't know anything outside those so they think, oh, oh my gosh, I can't listen to this because it just brings me. And I'm like, look, man, at the end of the day, stop worrying about <laughs> what somebody else is going to think about you. You know, because most of people, most of these people that are in the church, think that you think really care about you. They care to a certain extent, but they really just care about themselves. How are they going to get by? You know, how are they going to? You know, we put so much pressure on ourselves with people that really don't give a shit. At the end of the day. You know, when times get hard, and I'm saying everybody's like that, but when times get hard, people thinking about themselves, man. You know, <laughs> people think about themselves. I'm saying everybody, you know, I try to do my best to think about other people, but most people don't think about themselves, you know, and, and make sure that they're okay before they actually, you know, um, think about, how, and, that's, and in a way, you know, it's good. You got to make sure you're straight first, mm. you know, because if, if, if you know, it's kind of I don't know if I can help you with that one. Yeah. Get it? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, you know, so you got to make sure you're good, you know, but, but yeah, but I think just, I just think church now is just, it, it, you see a lot more people in our age demo and younger than us are leaving the traditional of what church is because of a lot of what we talked about. Like they're just, they just really don't want anything to do with it. Like if this is what, if this is what it's going to be, they're like, yeah. nah, I'll go do, I'll go be, I'll go do something else, <laughs> you know. But you know, I do hope that our generation and the kids behind us, who are even more like plugged into tech, yeah, are not just finding a different religion—the religion of like the scroll and the yeah, and yeah, the yeah. the little dopamine hit on the the likes and the reposts true, and true, true. Um, I was with a college agent for a while, and I remember setting up to play in this like campus center and I was looking around and I couldn't find any students that were interacting with each other in the mm. entire campus center. Yeah. People wow. were doing their doing their like studies on their computer or they right. were in line at the Dunkin' Donuts and every single person's head was down on their phone. And, and, you try, and you're trying to play and they're not even paying attention. Well yeah, I mean, I guess that's true too, but but just like, and I think with with COVID, it's it's really good that we have um, digital ways to connect. I mean, you and I aren't in the same room, but we're having a conversation right now. Like that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. But uh, but we may be losing our part of our like humanity and our ability to connect. And I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah. I think that is where it's like okay so if people aren't going to be in church getting moved every sunday then where are we going to come together and that, get that, that is you know? like, how are we going to do that i mean that's a good point that is i mean that is a good point because that is one thing about church we're like it's a community it's a fellowship is that you know what i mean so you're right there, there, there there's something to be said about that for sure because these kids in general 
you know, because of technology and we're on our phones, like you and I are old enough to remember when there was no social media, when there was no, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So we had to, we were forced to interact, not forced, but like it was just, it was more natural for us to go outside and play with our friends and have interpersonal skills. Basically what you're saying is like, the interpersonal skills are no longer there. These kids aren't growing up with that because they have so many things on our phones to distract mm-hmm. us, you know, and mm-hmm. we're all guilty of it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And, and again, you know, we know life before smartphones. Or we even, know. like, you just said go outside and play. And, you know, I, for a while, I lived in this, like, really small town, like, 20 minutes from the nearest stoplight. Mm-hmm. Like, small town. You see the oh, Milky wow. Way. Like, you know, like, yeah. country. And I would go out in the woods with my brother or with neighborhood kids and just, like, we go explore like other people's property and like build forts in the woods. And like, (laughs) there was some kind of like dump yard or like, what's the word? Like not a dumpster, but a a yard where they keep all the trash. I don't know, but we were just acting a fool and acting crazy. And we, we'd leave for hours at a time and no one cared. And I, I just can't imagine parents these days, like, if I had kids, I would, probably wouldn't let them do that. I'd no, no, like, definitely. You, no, you're you right. Need to tell a, me where you are. Who are you no, with? When are you coming back? It's a different time. Yeah, you couldn't. Why do that don't you now. text me? Yeah, you know, you <laughs> couldn't do it. You couldn't do like the way we grew up, and you know, you couldn't do that today because of there's too many, you know, just too many factors. You can't, you know, you're right. You couldn't. We were fortunate enough to grow up at a time where. You know where you could do that. Oh, you going to your friend's house? All right. You know, you home for dinner? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Type thing. Yep. You know, but nowadays you can't do that. You can't really be like just be home for dinner because you don't know. Really, they need that. Like it's it's so crazy nowadays. It's just you have to parent different. You have to not just you know you have to. I don't have kids, but I'm just saying in general. You have to. You got to parent different. You got to do things differently now that you didn't. Those things you didn't have to worry about 20 years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> that you have to worry about now, you know. So I feel you on that. I feel you on that. Cool, man. So you started writing songs at 15, right? So you started writing your own songs, original songs. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Like, how was what 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 got you? And then you actually and you also um started learning how to do sound engineering, play drums, bass, lead guitar. So you started really getting into the whole shebang around that time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i when i was in elementary school drums was the first thing that i picked up and mm-hmm. then um i wound up starting to play guitar when i got into high school and i was learning cover songs but i just felt really called to create my own music and mm-hmm. i've always been really into reading and really into like journaling and I think as soon as I had an outlet, as soon as I knew a few chords, it was just like, oh yeah, I'm going to be writing songs. And um, I think it started out as just like uh, something that was fun and I wanted to see how I could, where I could take it and how, how it could go. And, and in the evolution to like where I'm at now with my fifth full length album, um, I guess it will just have dropped by the time this airs, but it's like, now it's it's not just like oh i'm inspired i'm happy or i'm sad i'm gonna write a song it's like 
what kind of song do I want to craft? How do I want it to sound? What yeah. what take are we going to bring this to? Who do I want to have a co-write with someone? Hey, are we going to collab on about, it? You think about it differently now because now you are in a again, you're in a professional space. You think about music differently, you know, as a right. professional. You know, when you start, when you're writing songs and really at the learning process, again, I'm not a writer, so I'm just trying to be logical here. So I'm not, <laughs> you know, I get this people and, and connect to people and on the business side, but just trying to be logical about it. Like when you're first starting it, you're like, like you say, you just kind of have a good time. But as you've gotten older and you've had more experiences of how you want your, your career to go, you're thinking about it from a different perspective. You're not just writing a song to write a song. It needs to you're doing it for a reason. You know, I mean, yeah, you're gonna create, but still, like you said, they want to do a co-write. We're gonna do it for this or that or sync or whatever. You know what I mean? So, you know, I feel you. And that just comes with that just comes with experience and and being professional and understanding how things and understanding how the business works and all that type of deal. Well, I also think like um the voice memo function on the, the cell yeah. phones, it's like so beautiful and so great yeah. because if you wanna just have an idea and get it down you totally can but mm. i i'm i can be a little bit hard-headed and a bit of a micromanager because mm. i think that's also why i gravitated towards the engineering and the production is because and being able to play like whatever i can is because i'm curious about how it all works and i want to if i hear it in my head i want to be able to like translate it mm -hmm. but i also try to work with people that inspire me and people that i i trust their opinion and i know that they know what they're doing. So, you know, I brought maybe a hundred demos to the producers and we wound up recording like 15 songs and then 10 of them are on the record and just allowing things to get massaged into place and like pared down and not being so like precious with your ideas is actually really freeing because like you'll always have another idea. Hey, exactly. I mean, I love how you said that you took the demo, the skeleton version and took it to a producer to to flush it out and make it into a real production. And I think mm -hmm. that, you know, I think people don't do that as much these days. It's like, you know, we're going to take an idea that's, a, that's, you know, might be scratch vocals on it, whatever, you know, but it's an idea. It's, it's, it's enough of a flush of idea, though, to, to make it into something special. I think, you know, that's more like what I call the old school version of 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 making records, you know. You know, mm. because people don't do a lot of kids, they don't, they want things to go up. Music moves so quick now. You know what I mean? You're, you're not going to put, you're not, people aren't going to take a, a hundred demos and make 15 records. You know what I mean? Like, like today, music, because the movie, music moves so fast. You know, people are releasing songs every other month, you know, versus taking the time to actually flush out songs. You know, people are. Well, I, I'd be know. curious what you think about the, the format of records like you know because or the the radio friendly length mm -hmm. of songs mm -hmm. like we don't actually need any of that anymore now that we're streaming there's literally no limitations a song could be as short or as long as you want there could be a hundred songs on an album there could be two songs on an album right but right. this this record war in the living room that i just came out with is my first on vinyl nice. which that is like you have 44 minutes oh, okay. that, you know you have x amount of minutes on each side okay and there's that's like the physical space on the right. vinyl mm -hmm. and and i think as a listener it's it's a different experience to mm -hmm. listen to 
five or six songs, flip the record, listen to, mm-hmm. you know, the the other half of the record versus like, oh, I just, I like this song. It's on a playlist on my computer while I'm working out or, I mean, yeah. what, what do you think is going on with like the format of, of music? I just think because again, we're, especially, I think we're in a space now, especially with like people's attention spans, like really two minutes and 30 seconds, really two minute long songs is like, is, is really where we're at, you know, especially in mm-hmm. urban, especially in urban, you know what I mean? That was just primarily my space I'm in, you know, I mean, nowadays, two minute, they start the song with the hook. There's no, yeah. you know, they start the song with, and it's like two minutes, two minutes, two and a half minutes max, song's done. You know, because they know people's listening, people's listening span, the listening span is short. So they want to get to it, get quick, you know, and things like that. And like you said, because, because of streaming, it doesn't cost as much to press a record anymore. So people can put out music quickly. Sometimes mm-hmm. too, sometimes too quickly. <laughs> you know what I mean. So I just think it's an error. I think it's just the, the cost of the times that we're in. You know what I mean. Just mm-hmm. people just want to, you know. And then they're experimenting with songs, you know, and then all sorts of things. So yeah, that's my two cents on it. Like, you know, music just moves fast. It's it never moved as fast as it's moved before. You know, you had time. Mm. It was a time in music where you would take two and a half years to make a record. You know what I mean? You you record 150 songs. You're gonna pick the best 12, and that's the album. You know? People aren't taking two years to make a record anymore. Like they want to drop four EPs in the same year. You know, they want right. to get they want to get product, they want to get product out. So four yeah. EPs with six songs each. That's was it 24 records, you know. They come out in the course of 12 months, you know, this that's what you want to, you know, so it's different now. You never you didn't used to drop 24 songs in a year. You know what I mean? You know, so it's just different the way music moves. Music moves really fast. And so what happens is people get discouraged. Like sometimes you gotta work a record too. Like people who if you want to put out music that fast, understand that, you know, people don't gravitate as quickly to music anymore. This is why it's so important, Kristen. This is why I preach and teach a core audience. This is exactly mm. for that reason, because the goal should be to build a core. Everything everything I talk about on my socials when I'm talking with artists is about building a core audience. That's ultimately what matters. Having that micro economy, having that concentrated group of people it used to be about building wide, or it used to be about volume sales. Mm-hmm. Volume and sell. Now it's about we sell less, we sell less, but we sell more to a concentrated group of people that love us. And to me, that's the way. That's how independent artists can survive because they're they're ser- they're super serving a small group of people. When I say small, a thousand, five hundred to a thousand to five thousand people, and you just serve them. But because you're not going to get a million, two million, three million people, it's just it's almost impossible to do. I'm not saying it's now, I'm not saying you won't get there, but for the most artists, for most indie artists, you know, they can get to 500 to 1,000 people in their core. That, that you know, that that's doable, you know? Mm-hmm. Because that, yeah, that's and um, I actually, earlier today and, and when we when we wrap this, I'm working on fulfilling my Kickstarter rewards right now, which was oh, how yeah. I... Oh, yeah, I read, and I read that. I read that. Yeah, you did a Kickstarter. Okay, yeah, I definitely want to talk about that and, later. Yeah. 
you know, it's, it's, um, it is really powerful to think like, wow, all these individuals like gave me money without even knowing what I was going to do with it. Mm. And then to just feel kind of like supported and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, going, I know a lot of people are obsessed in Nashville with charting. It's mm-hmm. like, how am I going to chart? How am I going to, you and know? Then, and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong. People in Nashville, they, they, they approach songwriting more of a corporate thing, more of like my buddy Kipper Jones says, Nashville is much different than Atlanta City because it's much more like people go to work. They, they drop their kids off at school and they go to the studio and they write for hours, five mm-hmm. hours, and they stay in the studio and write all day. You know, it's much more of a corporate thing, less emotional, but more corporate nine to five type of approach. Well, I think it's, there's all kinds of different music in Nashville and yeah, yeah. Um, shout out to WNXP. It's like a new station uh, yeah. that is playing hip hop and soul and indie okay. and country yeah. and like all of it. Yeah. Um, but I think that the craft of songwriting is taken really seriously and actually like the modern country stuff is learning a lot from hip hop mm. and from the the urban you know it's like mm. I feel like um it, it's definitely a craft or, or like building a muscle where people yeah. become really they can come up with great melodies and and really interesting uh stories and whatnot but I think also I've gone to like a pitch to publisher thing, which is basically like, yeah. you know, say Luke Bryant's coming out a new record and mm-hmm. he's going to pick a song and the publisher listens to like a hundred unsigned songwriters verse mm-hmm. and chorus. Mm-hmm. And I've personally found those types of environments. It's like, maybe they're not for me mm-hmm. um, because I think I come from a more, uh, like you were saying, you want music to, to move you. You want to feel some kind of emotion and, I don't know. I play reggae music. I play rock. I have some stuff that's kind of country. Like mm-hmm. I love like Michael Jackson, Madonna, like pop. And yeah. I don't know if I want to just fit into a cookie cutter of exactly what they've already heard that they want to hear it exactly again, but in like a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Hey, I wouldn't mind uh, that passive income. I want to make that money while I sleep. So, right. um, you know, I, I'm all about vision boards. I've got number one hit songwriter, like, on that. Yeah. And, you know, like, so respect the Nashville thing. And also, like, I like the outliers in this town, too. Like, <laughs> the more there's that whole yeehaw, drink beer in my truck, there's going to be yeah. the real, real. Definitely. And I think, like you said earlier, there's... Nashville's multi-genre now it used to be we go to oh that's country music and like no there's a lot there's there's way more than country music in Nashville and I think mm-hmm. that's a cool thing now because it gives people they don't feel like they got to run to Atlanta to do only urban you know because people always want okay I got to go to Atlanta if I want to do urban I got to go here and it's like you know what about Nashville Nashville is somewhere there is opportunities for you know R&B in Nashville and hip-hop in Nashville and you know different things now. So it's kind of good that it's like that, that there's options because people run to Atlanta and then, you know, they get, as I like to say, lost in the sauce. <laughs> you know, when you go to, when you go to big hubs like that and you, you know, and you try to taste the industry, man, it can get, it can get crazy. Let's <laughs> say like that, you know, 
You definitely get crazy. Um, cool. So, you know, you definitely put your 10,000 hours in of learning your craft of live performance. You've done over. So 2008, you did 100 shows a year from pretty much 2008 to like around 2014 is when you kind of started like touring. Like, yeah. Right so like that was like while I had other jobs, I would yeah. still hit 100 shows. And then, you know, I think sometime between 2014 and 2020 when the whole all the shit hit the fan yeah, yeah, yeah um i think my biggest year was like 220 shows which were shows that i had booked and promoted myself and was the roadie and like yeah it, it was it was exhausting that was probably too many but also yeah. it's it's touring so much has afforded me yeah a ton of time to play music to connect with interesting people to travel the world it's been a wild ride there's been a lot of free snacks love free yeah. snacks <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely 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 yeah man i mean hey, when you're an independent artist you really and you have to kind of build this thing on your own you really see what really goes into it you know what i mean because most of the time you know you don't really when you're on the outside looking in or you know you don't really know what goes into having to do all what you just did you know what I mean? You just, you're used to just, let me just show up and play. But when you have to like ride everything and promote it, and do all the things you got to do, be the roadie, be everything, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, man. You know, it's a lot of work. So I, I get you. Yeah. Well, I think something that um, I was a little maybe naive or like hard headed about that I've, I've softened my position on was that like everything had to be music money and every a hundred percent of my income had to be from doing my passion all the time or I wasn't like legit, but mm -hmm. I've actually found that it's, it's kind of nice to diversify where you get your money from, because then if I want to hire a band for a show or I want to work with a certain videographer, or I want a cool outfit to wear on stage, it doesn't have to necessarily be, Oh, well this, gig has to pay x amount or i cannot have it or mm -hmm. if i don't get 200 tickets sold for this then it was a failure like mm -hmm. that mindset would probably tire anybody out but mm -hmm. after you know like over 10 years of this like i was getting really tired and it's actually really great to like i don't know just occasionally spend money on stuff and trust yeah. that I'm going to make money different avenues and yeah. actually doing music business has been a uh, really nice, like secondary income or like I have one guitar student right now and it's really fun. She pays yeah. me to, and we play guitar and it, it, yeah. I'm not burnt out. It's just like a random thing, yeah, but there's cool. no like shame in it. Yeah. I love how you say that. I think because yeah, you got to find different ways to, you're still doing your passion. It mm -hmm. just might not be always on the stage. You know what I mean? There was different ways. That's kind of how you have to think about it now. Because again, you know, it, it, the days of going to a major record company and them giving you an advance and you can be like, those days aren't what, it, you know, those days are gone. So you know, when you're DIY, you kind of have to find those different ways to diversify yourself and, and still have it be around your passion, but not like you said, not necessarily be just on the stage and right. Yeah. And it takes a while to get to that mindset where you're comfortable enough to be like, okay, 
today I'm not going to be on the same. I'm doing a guitar lesson. I'm doing that because it, it's affected the industry. Money's affected everybody, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. So you have to do different things, even for people that were you could. There was a time where, as a, as a producer, you could make thirty grand a song, forty grand a song, you know. There, you know, you can't. There's a lot of people making forty thousand a song, you know, unless you're hot, you know, real, real hot. You know what I mean? So, so you kind of have have different ways. You know, my buddy Steve Pajot, who's in Montreal, you know, he's a producer, Grammy Award winning producer and engineer, but he also teaches the flute to students and teaches okay. and teaches uh saxophone i think he does a def- bunch of different instruments but you know that's another way for him to to generate income so it doesn't you know like you said it doesn't it doesn't always have to look that way but look the way you envisioned it to look but at least you're doing something and it's still around your passion you know right and you get to, and you get to help people right did you get to do guitar lessons because you wouldn't play guitar anyway but at least you, <laughs> right. But at least you, you know. So you gotta have to look at it with the glass half full. Mm-hmm. You know. You know so. Absolutely. Cool. So then you did the never-ending tour, right? That took you across a lot of cities in the U.S. and in Europe and South America. Yeah, and, that yeah. was, it was uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know. I I've been to. Well, I've been to six different countries. Let's see, I've been to India, I've been to Spain, I've been to the Netherlands or Holland, uh, Luxembourg. Um, where else have I been to? I think that's it. Luxembourg, Holland, uh, Spain, France, India. Yeah. Yeah, India uh, was probably a trip. India was really cool. India was that, and that's one place that our U.S. dollar is really strong at still. Not strong in a lot of places, but India, <laughs> India is definitely a place where it's strong. India was a great because they're very Westernized over there. Believe it or not, they're very much into uh, Western culture. You know, in India, I went to Mumbai, which is like twenty million people in Mumbai. Wow, it's a big city. Yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. cool. So. Um, you shared the stage with artists like Betty Who, you know, Billy Gilman, um, Troy. Am I saying it right, Troy Savon? Or yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So you so so tell me about like some of your experiences going into Europe and South America and how and how the how it differs from here from from the states basically. You know. Sure. Um, well, I probably have done most of my like international touring in Germany where the German people are really wonderful. They will show up punctually on time for the gig and sit very quietly. And my whole thing is because they're very like rigid, you Mm. know, like uh, want to follow the rules and things are done a certain way. And you just like sort of exact like that. I just like to get them loose and, and, having fun and like oh i want you to sing this part or i need you to clap or i'm gonna do something like ah, you know like do this thing you're not really supposed to do in the song why not um just to sort of see if i can find a connection in that way and um you know touring europe is is really a wonderful experience you get away from the tourist traps and you get to actually experience cool like local hangouts and meet really interesting people and um south america i was in chile peru and bolivia and um 
that was kind of a culture shock for me in a difficult way to see people that are living on um, not not very much money mm-hmm. and just almost like a different way of life. It's mm-hmm. not they don't really value capitalism yeah. in the same way. And it, it is a very capitalist world where yeah. I think that sometimes um anyway i don't need to go down too much of a rabbit hole of that but it was cool i was working um in different libraries and like community centers and playing music mostly for kids and getting to see um a lot of especially young girls who like had never seen a girl who plays guitar or or who right moves about kind of as freely as, as i was doing um like it was it was powerful and it was, it was a really good experience. Um, but I think it's, I kind of struggle with the whole, like Americans are going to go abroad somewhere and like quote unquote fix injustices or like fix Mm -hmm. issues in that country because gosh, we have so much to do here at home. (laughs) If you don't understand the culture, then how, who are you to come and tell them to change? So, um i think for my own comfort level i am kind of prioritizing touring more like developed first worldy places and also like have big dreams to tour um to australia new zealand and just you know canada like more of the english-speaking world because i sing in english and (laughs) i know like and i also i'm like you i hate the winter so i want to go down to australia one of these winters yeah summer there yeah yeah you know i mean i've been fortunate enough to see the cool thing about when you do travel especially places like europe and places like that once you make friends they will take care of you i mean usually i always tell people when you go overseas the first time you know you're probably not gonna make a lot of money you know but what you are going to do is make relationships and when when they know you they take care of you like oh come stay with us you know and We'll feed you, we'll house you, we'll take care of you. So it ends up being, and then you'll get paid on the ground. Like you might not have a, you know, they'll give, hey, we're gonna give you a hundred euro to come play here. And, you know, and it, it's just, it's a really cool experience, man, once you go over there to make friends, you know. Uh, there's a conference, there's a conference called Medem, M-I-D-E-M. It's, have you ever heard of it? Medem? Yeah, Medem, yeah. Mm-mm. So Medem, yeah, it's 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 our it's a B two B music in the, it's a B two B event. Basically, like they call it where the global music community meets, and it's held in Cannes, France, with the same place they hold a Cannes Film Festival. It's the same mm-hmm. convention centers where they hold Medem at about two weeks after Cannes Film Festival, and so there's usually seventy five countries they're represented, and people go there to build out their music business. You have music, you have international music publishers there, you have you know all kinds of people there. And that's where I built a lot of my international connections at. And yeah, that's how I got my distribution deal in Africa. I have a big distribution deal in Korea as well. Um, but yeah, that's where a lot of my relationships have been built globally. And I'm telling you, tell, what I tell a lot of artists too, is that there's, there's a lot of these, there's a lot of companies that want to sponsor you, that want to give you products. They just don't know you exist yet. So going to these mm. events, that are global mm-hmm. like that, these global music industry events, you people, people get the chance to see you. Obviously, the last couple of years has been digital because of the pandemic. But when you can go to these other places and see people and meet people, they can see who you are. It's a game changer, man, when you can go to other parts of the world 
that love you and support you. And it just makes it like, because everybody can't be big in America. It's, everybody's not going to be number one on the billboard charts. It's impossible. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you can find your own tribe, find your own little pocket of people, that, you know, that, to me, that's success, man. <laughs> yeah. And what a valuable, like, those people who are going to say, hey, I'll pay you $100 to play here. Like, the friends and the experiences you make when you travel are just so special because you're yeah. like, yeah, we're fam. We're going to really have this conversation and we're really going to share this meal or yeah. wow, this is an interesting place to walk around. We're taking it all in. And when you think about the experiences that you have, even with your friends in your hometown, like mm -hmm. how often do you really talk to them like that or yeah. really yeah. connect or have that feeling, Oh, I'm going to play my songs here. And like, I'm across the world. Yeah. And they never heard anything like this, and I'm just gonna it, leave it all on the stage. Exactly, and it just it just gives <laughs> you a different perspective, man. Because yeah, you realize that okay, I'm really dope. You can get discouraged sometimes. You feel like do people really like what I do? And sometimes you have to go to other parts of the world. Something gets that sometimes get that reassurance that okay, I am cool, I am dope. Well, you know, I'm not, this is not just being done in vain, but people actually, because when you go to other parts of the world, people are a lot more receptive to what you're doing, especially if you're doing America, where we want to hear the same shit, man, over and over and over again. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's why the radio set up the way it is. The radio set up that way for a reason. You know right. what I mean? You know, uh, well, we won't go down that rabbit hole, but, <laughs> but you know, over, but you go to other parts of the world, they're much more open to, different sounds and different things and that's why you can see a lot more see a lot more people get a lot more love when they go global versus when they're here and they're home in the states so yeah i'm definitely with that for sure and i'm glad that you got a chance to experience some of that because some artists that you know they, they never they've never been outside their state they've never been outside mm -hmm. the america they've never been outside of america in general and, and i would try to tell people man you can see other parts of the world for music, man. Take full advantage of that because, you know, music is taking me places I never thought. I, ever, I never thought I would go to India for music and Spain and all these places that I never thought I'd ever see. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> you and, know? you know, especially, like, for someone who might be in a smaller town or just even a really clicky city, you can get real negative or feel real, like, yeah, my I must not be any good because this one booker who books for like four clubs in my scene or this one scene of people they're not coming they're not coming out to my shows like I must not be any good but then you could go play in California and people could absolutely lose their shit for you. Yeah, exactly. I just think it again it's mindset because some people like I said before some people have an idea of what they think being in the music industry is. Mm. until you get actually inside it you're inside the industry so you actually know what it really is and you know a lot of this is smoke and mirrors man a lot of it is you know you got to see through all that to get through and go through the bullshit to get to the good stuff you know what i mean but that's just what it is people just have these they have unrealistic expectations so when a lot of times when it doesn't go the way they want to go they think it's, the, no, it's just the nature of the game. There's no shortage of people who want to be in our industry. There's no shortage of people who think, like I said, because they make records or because they can rap or sing or, or play that they should make records professionally. But you, there's a mental aspect to this whole thing. You have to be mentally prepared 
to deal with what comes along with being a professional in this space. And not everybody can handle it, you know? Mm. I, don't think, I don't think we're designed to deal with fame. I don't think, you know, we were saying earlier about fame. I don't think we're, I don't think as human beings, we're designed f- from, to deal with fame. We, and people, people want to be famous because they feel like, I think they naturally feel like, okay, if I'm famous, that means I must be successful. The world knows me, so I must be successful. And sometimes you're famous for the wrong reason. <laughs> Do you really want the world to know? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I tell people well, all the time. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm certainly not, you know, famous at this moment in time. Maybe soon. Uh, but I have experienced like, um, you know, people singing my songs yeah. that I wrote now there's there's a crowd of people singing them along at me or yeah someone i played telemore ireland where they make telemore do it's like you know a whiskey Mm -hmm. and this lady ran up to me and was like oh you're you're Kristen ford you're in the newspaper and you know like that (laughs) stuff is cute and it's fun and i've also experienced like playing at at some festivals where you're say you're like at a conference or a festival somewhere away for the weekend yeah and after you play if everybody recognizes you and they keep coming up to you and saying, great set, great set, great set, great set, great set, great set, great set. Great set. Mm-hmm. Eventually you start to feel kind of like, thank you. I don't have anything authentic to say to you because I just have said the same yeah. thing. <laughs> well, you know, or I was just at a party where, you know, everyone was asking it was like an anniversary party for like these older folks. And, and I was there and mm-hmm. people were like, Oh, so you're a musician. And I had the same conversation a hundred <laughs> times. Right. And I just, I wonder like, it might be exhausting to be Chris Brown and have everyone right. think they know you because they right. recognize you. Exactly. Right. You, or it might be lonely, you know, because it has to be who because... can really talk to you about, just on a one-to-one level right. like the, and the only so how are you Darrell you know right the only people that's why I always that's why when I meet somebody I go to kind of meet somebody who I know has accolades I treat them like regular people hey my name is Darrell how you doing you know what I mean I treat them mm-hmm. like a regular try to because at the end of the day man especially we're at a conference like at an industry but I don't want to be you know if somebody's famous like okay yeah but I just try to treat them like a normal person because at the end of the day that's what they are they're normal people who just happen to have lived, happen to live in a, have to have done some things that causes them to, to be known a little bit. But they when they go home, they deal with life just like we do, you know? So do you have any any advice on, like, how to have confidence to talk to people that you know are... I just tell people... Are, that, are famous I, or are where you want to be, you know, so when I just you run tell into people, them? So um, this one guy, Kevin Shine, who's a well-known in the industry, he, he told me about this thing called a three hellos uh, one year. He said, so if you're at an event and you meet somebody, this is a great networking tool. So you say hi, say hi to somebody. You don't want to tell them your whole life story because like, they don't really care. That first initial meeting, like they're not really trying to get to know you. So, but it's like, hey, how you doing? My name's such and such. All right, we have a little small talk. We compliment each other, whatever. The second time, hey, man, I just saw you. Maybe, maybe it's later on that day. Maybe it's the next day. Hey, I just saw you, man. How you doing? Whatever, whatever. That third time, man, I keep seeing you around. What is it that you do? Now, by that third time, they're usually going to interact with you and want to know what you have going on. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So now it's time. Now that's when you kind of go into your whole spiel about what you do. But nobody, nobody really cares. That first sense meeting, like they, they, you know, they're gonna say hi. They're gonna be cordial, nice, but they're not. You, they don't really want you to go into your whole life story when you first meet somebody, especially somebody that has that that that's publicly known like that. You know, uh, so that's yeah. kind of how I, that's kind of how I approach it, and I always try to make it about them, not about me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? When I'm networking with people, you know. I always try to make it about the other person first because you don't ever want to be in a take, 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 take mentality. I would like to give or make it about, because if somebody, if you stroke somebody's ego, let's be real, we're in an industry where people want to have their ego stroked a little bit. So if you can stroke somebody's ego a little bit and make it about them, it'll always come back around to you. That's how, that's why I always, that's how I approach dealing with, I mean, I haven't really, who have I met that's the most famous person? I can't even tell you, honestly. You I know, wouldn't, I don't, don't even name drop. Cause I, I don't think it's even that's necessary. really the point. I just like, for example, I was just playing a festival and the art, there was a bigger artist that was playing the same day as my group. And mm-hmm. I was like in my head, Oh wow. I'm going to meet their manager. And like, maybe I'll get to open for them on a whole tour. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And then I'm in the green room and I see this artist is there. I recognize mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. and I just, avoid eye contact didn't say anything because mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't want to be like you know oh where's the vap line to meet you i want to be oh, cool right right, but then right i think sometimes there's also maybe this is a thing of of being a woman and being trained to like not take up too much space and be like right. oh i'm sorry did i no, you know I like is it okay think, for me to be here no i think there's um, a way to go about i think there's a way to go about yeah. like there's a, like i said there's a way to go about you know you know, that's why I said, like, hey, I man, I like your shoes, or hey, whatever. You know, something small like that to get the conversation started because, you know, that's it, it seems small, but it's enough It's enough to start a conversation. Because once the conversation starts, it just flows. You're no longer thinking about who he, that he's somebody that's, that's quote-unquote, bigger than you. Mm-hmm. You're just having a conversation. So that's kind of how I, I would approach that. And, it, and it, it's not, a, again, you know, they're people first. At the end of the day, they're people. At the end of the day, yeah, they're celebrities. Yeah, they might be, but they're people. At the end of the day, they gotta go through life like we go through life. You know, yep. that's kind of how my my mentality is. You know, like they're people first. They have to. They deal with. They deal with the human experience just like we do. They might just be a little bit more known than we are, which is okay. You know, it's okay. There's always gonna be somebody that's 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 bigger and more known than us this is what it is you know i mean we get caught up and caught up in those little things about being we'll talk ourselves nuts doing that we just gotta like i say run you gotta run your own race man just run your race do what's best for Kristen ford you know Mm -hmm. You know, because if you you look at it from that perspective you won't the days that you get the days that you struggle you know the days that you get overwhelmed the days you're like damn like why am I doing this shit? You know what I mean? Because those days happen. I mean, they don't happen often, but they happen from time to time. You're like, but again, it's it's your passion, it's your why, it's your being able to understand, you know, that that it's bigger. Your that you have a purpose while you do what you do, and the purpose should never be I want to be famous. If that's the only goal, somebody, I don't think they should pursue this career. It's too hard. <laughs> it's too hard to just do it for that reason you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah man, it's too hard for that reason um 
So in 2020, so, you know, you recorded a No Plans EP, right? Which ultimately then led you to, and that was produced by Rachel Moore, who's well-known, right? Mm -hmm. she's, she's a badass. Yeah, yeah, cool. And then you also were invited to create songs for a derby horror film. Yeah, and actually we just won Best Original Music for this ah, very, film festival we were in. Um, very cool. Yeah. I haven't that's, seen the award in person yet, but I'm a winner. Cool. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> and you, you had speaking roles in there. You did skating stunts. Yeah. Videos, which ultimately led you to do some acting, right? Yep. Which is cool. So, you know, so yeah, so... How was that whole experience from obviously from recording the project to ultimately be a part of the film? And now you do you do a lot more sync stuff now? Um, yeah, working on it. And that's actually something that for artists who are going into the studio, like make sure that you get contracts from people yes. that are potentially playing on it or potentially writing and that yes. you get an instrumental version yeah. and, you know, the radio version of your song because yeah. when when they want that sync, they want it immediately and immediately, they want all right. that stuff. Yeah, what um, we, call, we call that one stop, pre-cleared, all in, you know? Right. So you gotta always make sure because when they want that, they don't wanna go to five, 50 million people. You wanna get the paperwork to whoever's pitching it is a one stop. They don't gotta worry about going to eight people, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And that, you know, yeah, it's important to, when, you, when you're in the sync space, it's just a, it's a different, it's, you're no longer in the media, but you're in the film and TV business. It's, a, it's different rules when you're in, when you're playing in that world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so definitely. Well, I actually, so I recorded this album, um, War in the Living Room that I'm, I'm releasing yeah. on November 11th. Yeah. I recorded that in the beginning of 2019. Okay. And I was ready to, release it and um you know the pandemic hit and i was just like this isn't a good time and mm -hmm. i i just felt kind of like uh completely lacking my self-identity anymore because mm -hmm. so much of my schedule and my work and who i am has just been all about touring and all about keeping the music wheels going and mm -hmm. Um, I was actually really, really super depressed, and I like wrote a song called "I Wish I Was Dead," which is like, oh my gosh! But yeah. I was like, you know what? I should record this song, and I reached out to a mastering engineer friend of mine that we had just chatted about recording, and she connected me with Rachel, who's you know worked with some bigger names, and then mm -hmm. uh, I had a couple checks from the government because of the. <laughs> all of my touring falling off for the summer. And yeah. it was like, as soon as I kind of gave up and decided I was just so miserable that like, fuck it, yeah. I don't even care. I'm just going to do some music. Nothing's working out the way I planned it. Then no yeah. plans happened. And I was asked ah. to do this movie role and I like almost didn't do it because we filmed in September and it was like, COVID's raging and how's it going to be safe? And I don't know. And right. And um, it was just like a crazy epiphany and it felt so good. And, and since then I've been studying acting. So I just look at like this whole thing as like another instrument. And yeah, yeah. Um, I've gotten to do some, some movies and some TV and some, um, some reality TV stuff. And also like gotten into writing and producing. So oh, cool. it's, it's really exciting. 
What are reality TV stuff? You don't mind me asking? Have you done? Oh, um, I'm not sure that I'm allowed to talk about it because okay, that's cool. NBA stuff. Got you, got you, got Um, but it is filming in Atlanta, and okay. so I've been doing the whole Nashville Atlanta commute. Yeah, um, it's only four hours. Not too bad. <laughs> only four. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's also just like I've been really enjoying this last, you know, like month or so and then looking into my planning my summer to be like i'm really going to be a musician right now because i really want to focus on this album right. and it feels like it's exciting and it, it's fulfilling and then i'm really excited to throw myself into more acting stuff and i think like you said it's not exactly the same model as it was years ago so yeah, it's, it's different you can be flexible just do what brings you joy and right. you know if, if i make it as an actor that's going to help my music and if i make it in music that's going to help my acting so yeah yeah all good yeah, it's all good, man. It all, again, you know, it, it, like we said before, it's no one way. You know, Jerry Key's my, when I'm, he's an actor as well, too. You know what I mean? So you just do, you know, you, you, you do, you take the opportunity that present themselves. You know what I mean? And, and, and do the best you can. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to make a career doing this, but you find different avenues that open. And sometimes you end up in a space you never thought you'd end up in. Like, wow, like, can you probably didn't intend on, acting it, it just happened <laughs> you know yeah. so cool cool and also like starting out as a new actor i'm so much more appreciative for those like bigger checks i get for music oh and when yeah, my yeah, phone's yeah. ringing for music and like my inbox is somebody reached out to me like it, it, there is a something to be said i think for investing years and like you said like getting into the industry and like building yourself as a professional because um folks will remember you and they'll ask you back and mm-hmm. it's not always going to be trying to get that ball rolling like it is when you're just brand new at a new craft yeah. or in a new industry. Yeah, definitely. You, know, you build, everything is about relationships and networking and, you know, that's the nature of the game and that's how you hang around your, your soft skills, man. Like your soft skills are so important, you know? What do you mean by soft skills? Meaning like know how to send an email professionally, know how to do different things, like just little things like that. Be a mm-hmm. good person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, right. like, you know, because people remember stuff like that. You know, I uh, don't just, you can't talk to people any old type of way. You can't, you know, can't say, tell people to everybody to F off. You can't, because you need relationships in this, in, in this space. People have to like you, you know, <laughs> they have to like being around you. You know what right. I mean? Like, because if they don't, guess what? They're not going to call you. If they're like, damn, Christian, she's talented. She's an asshole. Fuck her. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're not gonna be, you know. I mean, that's just how people are, you know. They, they remember who are, they remember the people who are assholes to them. Like, I'm not dealing with you. You know what I mean? Like, some people are are necessary evils. You have to deal with them just because of who they are. But if they cannot, but if they don't have to deal with you, they won't. Like, if they have a reason not to deal with you. They just won't do it. You know. So you gotta be very careful on who you piss off. <laughs> and if you burn a bridge, be prepared for that bitch to stay burnt. And with they, they bring because people remember this is a small industry, man. People, people remember. They remember if you treated them like crap, you know, or or they remember if you didn't, if you treated them well. Uh, the producer Brian Michael Cox, our favorite army producer. You know, talk. You know, you know who he is Brian Michael Cox, Chris Brown, Usher, a lot of people. Anyway, he says the way people treat you on on the way on, on the way people treat you on the way you coming up and how they're gonna treat. Is how you gonna treat them on the way? How they gonna treat you on on the way when you coming down? Because the phone eventually, 
there's gonna be a time where you, you're gonna be hot like fish grease. There's gonna be a time where the phone is gonna not, it's not gonna mm-hmm. ring as much. And if if they know you treated them like shit when you were hot, guess what? When you need that phone call to ring, that phone to ring, and you they know you're you're an ass, that phone won't ring. You hang it's around, you hang around. Uh, you hang around because of the way you treat people. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I, my brother says something to me that's like the three truths or something to consider before you open up your mouth. Okay. <laughs> and one is, is it true? Two is, is it necessary? And three, is it kind or helpful? Right. And I think in talking shit and getting into negativity, that also is like, I keep trying to remind myself of those three pillars to just be like, maybe I could just not say anything or let these people go off on their complaining rant about what they want to complain about, but I'm going to stay high, high vibe, you know, and trust that that's going to lead me where I want to go. Right. Because you could be talking shit about somebody and that could be somebody's like manager or co-writer or, or whatever, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful because people know. People like that. Like you know, you know, gotta be careful because you don't know who you're talking to. You really don't. You gotta be really careful. <laughs> you know? And you never want to discuss like how much you're getting paid around other artists or right now. Because, nope, they don't need to know that. <laughs> you don't necessarily want to know what they're getting paid, you know, like. Right. Just, yeah, there, there is a lot to learn, for sure. A lot of ways to make mistakes, and hopefully life is forgiving on us all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah you're, you're exactly right. You never, you brought up a good point. You never want to discuss monies because, you know, every, yeah, that could be, that's a, bad, that's a rabbit hole you don't want to go down unless you like really know that person or, like you're really tight you know but not not just around random because you don't know people you know aren't you aren't you get paid this and then that caused a whole other issue you know what mm-hmm. i mean so you're definitely mm-hmm. right about that you definitely don't want to discuss that around other people that you don't know like that that you're not comfortable knowing where you can discuss stuff because <laughs> <laughs> right. it will it will it will potentially cause an issue <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so um, I definitely want to end the episode, and I want to talk about. Tell me more about your your crowdfunding campaign. You raised twenty thousand for the for the for the Warner Level Room EP. Talk to me about that process of what goes into raising money for a project. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good question. I did uh, a lot of market research to begin, and this was my third time crowdfunding. So. Okay. Um, I felt like 20k was the ceiling of what I thought was wildly in my wildest dreams possible mm-hmm. and I saw other artists with about the same number of Facebook likes and Instagram followers and playing some of the same size clubs and festivals that I was doing raising that money as well so I thought okay that's doable and then um, you know you have to be really aggressive about um making sure that you're out in front of people. I played a ridiculous amount of shows, did interviews, got on anybody's 
radar during the crowdfunding time um, and uh, made sure to keep adding rewards throughout the life of the campaign to be like, mm -hmm. ooh, I just added a $12 reward or, oh, I just added something at 35. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I sent personal messages to like every single person that I had on Instagram and Facebook and um, really working my mailing list that I've built mm -hmm. over the years of, of touring and, and mm -hmm. also like some of those angel investors, there are people that I've met either doing live stream shows who are real patrons of the arts or like family members that, mm -hmm. you know, I could say, look, I know this is big, but like, can I get a thousand dollars from you for this? that would really make a big difference and right. you know um you know or other people it's like yo you gave me a hundred dollars like you are so amazing thank you right. and i think just staying with it and staying positive like this this is an exciting thing that i know we're gonna succeed at you can't go into an all or nothing crowdfund with being like maybe right. we'll get it you have to know that you're going to make it right 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 and, and um, right right i think also like it can be kind of off-putting when people say, please help us do right. this thing. Right. Please, we only have X amount. Like, yeah, you want to be, like, more positive. Like, exactly. wow, we're 20% funded in the first day. You right. guys are incredible. You know, right. like, just Right. Energy, you don't want to feel, like, feel like you're begging. You're begging. Like, Would you please help? You're, now you're begging. Like, we don't want to be a part of that where you're begging. They want to feel like this is, they want to feel that, this is going to be a great thing to be a part of. And it's kind of like that FOMO. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like they don't want to miss out because you do. So it's all positive energy. And then, again, because they love you, they're going to support you. The, the key is to building an audience is turning interested fans into supporters. Once they spend the money with you, now they support you. They feel a part of your journey now. You know what I mean? That's the key thing there is that you want to take somebody who might have just discovered you on, on social media, which is which is why I teach what I teach. What I what I teach is called the genesis of super fan building, and I'll quickly take you through that. You know, we talk first thing we talk about is your 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 artist profile, who you are as an artist. Why should people care, right? So within that, it's your brand position statement, your who you are, your value proposition, the community that you want to serve, who you are, and why should somebody care? Essentially. The problem that you're solving for people. You're solving a problem for people with your artistry, right? When you figure out that brand position, now you know what sets you apart from everybody else, right? After that, we go into what we call the buyer fan persona or the fan avatar or the character analysis. Basically means what does your core fan look like? What does he or she look like? And when you can actually personify who they are, it makes it much easier now we talk about the, the psychograph, the demographic, which is the study of people, which is the who, what, when, and the where. But I care more about the psychographic, which is the why. And once you know this information, again, now you can go create content speaking specifically to that individual, right? Because everything starts on social media. But before you can start to, the reason why most people struggle, most artists struggle with social media is because they don't know who they're talking to. So it's just posting up content and it's not intentional. If you go to my Instagram now, everything I post is intentional. I know who I'm talking to. 
I know that I know who I'm trying to reach. You know, that's the thing. So that's why everything is about a core. So I that's why I teach that stuff first. Everything is about social. Once you once you get once you get them on social, now it's about taking them from an interested fan, right, to a, a supporter in that whole process of top of funnel and the value chain and getting them to want to buy from you and that whole thing. So mm-hmm. that's that's you know, that's the things that you have to really think about. You know, but we have to start at at the root. I mean, see, a lot of people on social, a lot of these gurus on Instagram talk, run ads, run ads, run ads, run ads. Everybody's not ready to run ads when they first start. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it's about knowing who you are, knowing the problems that you're solving for your audience, being intentional about that, you know. And like you said, being a, you do with your crowdfunding campaign, you're intentional. You know what it is you're trying to do and you achieve it and you achieve the goal. Because 20 grand is not it's hard to do in what the 45 days? How long do you have? Yeah, that's that's hard. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I, when I did a GoFundMe to raise money to go to meet them for the first time, you know, I raised two thousand in about thirty, and it was tough, man. You gotta I, I have a I have a, a newfound respect for people that crowd that raise money for a living because you have to, it's a lot of work, man. It is not easy to raise money. <laughs> it's not easy to raise money. So cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well man, this Hell is yeah. this has been so great. So your product is dropping. When is you when does the product drop? When does the album drop? Veterans Day, 11, 11, 21, War in the Living Room. Okay. But what well, time this airs, it'll it'll already be out. Yep, um, it's out on vinyl, CD, digital, everywhere. Cool, cool, cool. And, and, and what's at Fordmusic.com. Cool. And what's and just giving people a little taste, what's the product about? You know, what I mean, you know, what what what's the what's the idea behind it? It's uh it's basically like a a divorce album <laughs> going okay. through hell and um I, figuring well, out well, your way through it. Well you get what did you were you getting divorced when you wrote it? Yep. Oh wow. That must have been <laughs> that must have been tough. <laughs> it uh yeah i'm in a much better place now but it's definitely like i didn't know that was what i was um setting out to do when i did the crowdfund i didn't know that's what the album was going to be about but the songs that i wound up writing and like i said i brought a ton of demos to the to the um producers and the mm-hmm. you know the songs that rose to the top were i think the ones that were the most emotion laden and and real and um you know, I think a lot of people can understand in the pandemic going through, it's been a make or break for a lot of people. Definitely. Definitely. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm also excited to just like play these songs and get it out and just have, have this be like, yep, this shit really happened. Sometimes life gets really real and surprises you and, yeah. Um, music will always carry us through. Definitely, I always tell people. Moments. I always tell people that we can't live life without music. It's just we can't. It's impossible. <laughs> yeah, it's impossible. It really is. It really matters to people. It's music can be life or death to a lot of people. So that's why I take what I do very seriously because I feel like people need what I bring to the table. We need your artistry. We need what you bring to the, as artists because you're the you're the cultural storytellers of culture. Right. Mm. So we need people to do that. 
you know, filmmakers tell stories and we need people's stories to be told. So like the arts matter. Arts have always mattered. They always will matter. Mm-hmm. This, is why I, this is why I take what I do seriously because I don't want to, you want to say, oh, you want to go be a musician, go get a real job. You know, it always would always bother me when people say that because like they don't really know what it goes into doing this as a career. <laughs> and it's a real it is a real job. It is a real career. <laughs> it is a real craft, you know. And um I'm I'm blessed to have met you and, and now know you and can call you a friend. So that's what's so great about doing these podcasts and connecting with new people is that, you know, we get a chance to get this discover new great people like yourself. Uh, yeah. before, I gotta get back to Orlando. We connected a gig somewhere. Definitely, definitely. So before we get out of here, where can the people find you at? Um, I'm uh, all over the internet. Just Google Kristen Ford, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, Ford. Right, like the car. There you go. <laughs> cool, guys. Well, look, it's been another great episode of the Encourage Inspire podcast. And this is your host, Darrell Peart. Until next time, I'm out of here. Peace. Thanks so much, Darrell. You're welcome. <laughs>